We had week zero, but the college football season starts in earnest in week one, heading into Labor Day weekend. You have found the college football podcast on the lines.com YouTube channel and podcast feed. I am Steven Andress, joined by our college football writer, Brett Gibbons. In this podcast, we will look at win totals ahead of the college football season and also some of the week one bets that Brett likes the most with a full slate of pageantry, of marching bands, of student sections. Gibbons, I know you're fired up. Yes, this is a massive slate. And I think we probably say that every year, even though it's equally big every year this year just feels bigger. So I'm so excited to dive into it. So let's start with win totals for the college football season. Some of the ones that you have added personally to your account. And we are going to start in the Big 12. So often the teams at the top get the most publicity, but you are venturing a little bit further down in the projected conference standings and found an over on Kansas State that was attractive to you. Yes. So win totals this year are so interesting if you really dive in and do a lot of research on these teams because there's so much movement so much uncertainty that i think a lot of these lines are beatable and kansas state is lined for six and a half wins i got it over minus 160 not my favorite price but you know i thought it was a pretty good number at bet rivers um this total it's it's going over i i expected to see it go up it didn't Um, But Kansas State is returning one of probably the 10 best defensive lines in the country. Uh, King Felix is uh, the the leader down there. Uh, They also returned Deuce Vaughn, who is a first team all purpose, uh, all American all purpose back. They got Adrian Martinez in the transfer portal from uh, Nebraska, which a lot of people think, oh, wow, he's really bad. He led the uh, you know, he, he led FBS in turnovers in his time in Nebraska. But we just saw Casey Thompson under Scott Frost in week zero. I think it's a Scott Frost problem. <laughs> Maybe not so much an Adrian Martinez problem. So I think he's going to clean it up a bit in Manhattan. The defense overall is just going to be solid. I have questions about the offensive line, but we're basically asking them to win one game over 500. And I think their schedule is absolutely beatable. It's one of the easier ones in the power five. I think one of the easiest in the, uh, in the big 12 Missouri's like their one out of conference test that they have, but I have confidence that they'll beat them. So over six and a half, I really, really like this number. First three weeks of the season, all home games, South Dakota, Missouri, and Tulane. In-conference road games at Oklahoma, Iowa State, TCU, Baylor, and West Virginia. Home games against Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Texas, and Kansas. So shooting for the seven wins on that schedule. Let's head to a non-Power 5 school here, Brett, and you have circled the Houston Cougars as a team that might be able to get to double-digit wins this season. What is it about this squad that uh, piqued your interest? Yeah, we put it in our Discord a while ago uh, when FanDuel first came out with over uh, to win 10 games. It was a prop, and Houston was so mispriced in that. I think they had Houston around plus 175 or something to win 10 games, but they had a win total of 9.5 elsewhere. I scooped it up at 9.5 at plus 115 at FanDuel. 
I love this team so much. They're so good. They return Clayton Toon, who's one of the better quarterbacks nationally, one of the better receivers nationally, and Tank Dell, Nathaniel Dell. They're coming off a 12-win season that we just don't seem to be talking about. You know, they played their bowl game against Auburn, and we were so wrapped up talking about Auburn and their dysfunction and their six wins and all that that we just forgot that Houston beat the crap out of them in that game. The scoreboard (laughs) doesn't show it, but they beat them up physically. They have a top-flight defensive line, which was ranked 14th nationally by Phil Steele. And the best part about it, their strength of schedule is 101st, according to the FPI. That's a very winnable slate. I I believe they avoid Cincinnati this year if they don't play them in the American Championship. But I truly believe if there's one team I had to choose that wasn't Alabama, that wasn't Ohio State, that could win all of the games on slate, go undefeated this year, it's Houston. They do avoid Cincinnati. That is not on the schedule. First couple of weeks of the season at Texas San Antonio, at Texas Tech, Home against Kansas, so all winnable games there. And then another home game against Rice. Home game against Tulane. The toughest maybe test traditionally in the conference for them outside Cincinnati at Memphis, at Navy. Home against South Florida, at SMU. Home against Temple, at East Carolina. Home against Tulsa. So again, not exactly a murderer's row in this conference for Houston. Let's go out west now to uh, a team that is not so optimistic, in in your opinion. Uh, Nevada, the Wolfpack, lined at six wins on the season. A little bit of a juice on the under here at most books. Um, But this number at Bet Rivers of six is one of the final numbers you're going to get at that price where it's it's been bet down heavily at other spots. Yeah, I'm mad at Nevada. I, there was a, I, I bet against them in week zero against New Mexico State, and it was a wild ending to the game. I'm not here to air grievances, but they looked bad. Their quarterback situation looked bad. They didn't pass for 100 yards. They kept uh, New Mexico State FPI 131, power rankings 130, you name it. They're at the bottom of the barrel. They only beat them by 11, I believe it was. Since 2011, basically as as long as uh, Bill Connolly, who I, I take returning production numbers off of, since he's been measuring it, no team has returned less roster production than this Nevada team. They lost Carson Strong. That is brutal. Their quarterbacks that they have, uh, Nate Cox, who's six foot nine, <laughs> he's just massive, but he's pretty immobile. Uh, he took six sacks in uh, the Western Michigan Bowl game, uh, where they just got killed my goodness was that ugly uh only 121 yards passing against new mexico state had like 87 yards passing uh they have a brand new coaching staff jay norvell took off for colorado state took the entire coaching staff with them this team has nothing left they don't have much talent on the roster they don't have a surefire quarterback and now they have a brand new coaching staff so before when they put out six wins yeah that was a pretty easy grab on the under uh, it's down to four and a half now everywhere. I would probably still bet under that. This is not a, this is not a six win team. This is not a bold team. This is a team that is going to be one of the worst in the mountain West. I think one of the worst nationally and looking at the, you know, their, their upcoming lines as they get put out. I'm honestly looking forward to betting against them all year long. Week zero, that that matchup against New Mexico State that you mentioned, the Wolfpack was a seven-point favorite, wound up winning the game 23-12. to Rest of the schedule, home against Texas State, home against, I don't even know what this 
Incarnate Word. Okay, well, that's yeah, that's uh, the new today. <laughs> Cameron Ward, uh, FCS transfer quarterback, up to um, Washington State is out of Incarnate Word, so not much to talk about there. I saw UIW. I'm like uh, <laughs> Indiana Wesleyan or something. All right, Incarnate Word UIW. <laughs> Uh, and then road games at Iowa, at Air Force, home against Colorado State, at Hawaii, the trip that every college student loves, home against San Diego State, at San Jose State, home games against Boise State and Fresno State, and wrapping up the season at UNLV. So I can't I can't disagree with you, man. And when it's a four and a half everywhere else and there's still a six sitting out there. That's an off-market number, and that's a number that we need to go attack for sure, even if the juice is minus 134. Uh, one more here that you want to touch on, your neck of the woods. Just drove through here the other day on my drive back from vacation. Beautiful campus, beautiful football facilities. <laughs> bowling green, baby. What do you like about your bowling green? That they're only lined for three and a half wins. They were four and eight last year. They have a great defense. They have one of the top linebackers in the country. I'm biased. I went to Bowling Green. I love my team. But seriously, they they are a decent team. I have serious concerns about their quarterback. Their quarterback, Matt McDonald, threw for like a career, like 6.4, I think it is, 5.4 yards per attempt. Oh, his throwing motion, it, it's bad. It's bad news. <laughs> but this team's defense is so good. They're playing in the MAC East. They don't have a terribly tough out-of-conference uh, schedule. I know that they play Marshall. Uh, good luck there. You know, uh, UCLA, I believe Mississippi State is the other one on there. So they're out-of-conference. Yeah, it's tough. But their in-conference is not. They're playing in the MAC East. Good defense is going to get you a long way there. So, so which teams here, you know, the, the non-conference at UCLA home against Eastern Kentucky and Marshall at Mississippi state, probably a loss there, obviously against an sec opponent. So which of these, these Mackey's teams do you feel confident in that they're going to beat? Yeah. When you're looking at Mackey's teams, I mean, we're talking about Akron, probably one of the worst teams nationally. Uh, they handle Buffalo at home, which is kind of nice. They're, they're usually a pretty good team. Uh, Miami of Ohio. I like Miami a lot in the division. So, you know, at least they handle them at home. Uh, Central Michigan's pretty good across division, but I, Ohio doesn't, doesn't scare me. Akron doesn't scare me. Uh, Kent state can be pretty good, but I, there, there's just no one on there where I'm like, yeah, no, uh, you know, Bowling Green has no chance. It's a lot of, yeah, they probably can win that game. And when you get into the late season, Mac, you get into Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Beat Buffalo last year on the road. Won a home game against Ohio. Beat a Big Ten team on the road in Minnesota a year ago, 14 to 10. So, boy, they sure did. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Loves Bowling Green, baby. I love it. <laughs> Let's get into the week one slate, the spreads, the totals, what you are eyeing here for college football week one. It is a great slate. And let's start with perhaps the biggest headliner of them all. Notre Dame at Ohio State. Ohio State now a 17 point favorite for this Saturday night primetime kickoff 730 p.m. Eastern time kick. What are you seeing about this game? What stands out to you? And um, are, do you care that Notre Dame's new coach, Coach Freeman, is writing down that his team is a 17-point underdog and telling, telling uh, them in the team meetings for motivation? 
Uh, no, I don't care because that doesn't change the roster construction and talent uh, <laughs> gap, which which is why I'm looking at the most. You know, something that I was noticing for week uh, zero when I uh, when I noted all that down is that when you watch the line movement, it did pretty well in week zero. Ohio State opened as a 13 and a half point favorite, and they're all the way up yeah. to 17. That's a lot of movement there. So, uh, you know, I, I think the value on this game, the closing line value is, is gone. The, if you didn't get it early in the in the summer, yeah, the closing line value is gone. I got it 13 and a half, jumped on it back in May. Uh, that number will not exist again. But Ohio State, number one in EPA, number one in success rate, number one in points per drive, number one in touchdown rate and quality possessions. Like, you name it, they were the best offense in America last year, and they're bringing it all back. I know that they lose two first-round receivers, but we saw what that offense was like without them. Marvin Harrison Jr. had three touchdowns that nobody talked about. Jackson Smith and Jigba had that crazy Rose Bowl that will go down in history. But JSN didn't just impress in that game without the other first-round receivers, without Olave and Garrett Wilson. He set Ohio State records in receptions and yards last year. Not freshman records, program records. And he was just a true freshman. He returns. I remember there was a, a college game day feature on the three receivers and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were asked like, oh, who's the best one among you? And they just without hesitation looked at JSN and were like, yeah, he is. <laughs> so he's better than these guys we've been seeing. And they have Julian Fleming. They, they just have this embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position. Now, Notre Dame doesn't have a very overly athletic secondary, I don't think. They added Brandon Joseph in the portal, but he's a safety. He'll help a little bit, but, you know, he's not matching up one-on-one with these guys. I don't think they have anybody who can match up with them. They have a big physical corner at one end, smaller corner on the other. Neither one, you know, they got beat last year by athletic receivers, and that's all Ohio State puts out. So I'm worried that right out of the gate, Notre Dame could get in a hole fast. They're starting a brand new uh, quarterback in Tyler Buckner. He's facing a complex and aggressive defensive play caller in Jim Knowles, who just came over from Oklahoma State. Ohio State's going to want to get out to a fast start. They can get out to a fast start. I'm not saying it's going to be this bad, but if you look at the opening of the Michigan State game from last year, I expect them to go back to the well and do exactly what they did there. Vertical passing, gashing them on the ground. I don't know if Notre Dame can come out of the gate and, you know, hold those punches. So one of my favorite bets in this game is going to be Ohio State covering first half points. I got it nine and a half. As long as it stays under 10, I like that a lot. I think they're going to get out to a fast start. Notre Dame's going to have to make halftime adjustments. If they can make those halftime adjustments, awesome. We don't have to worry about the full game spread there. So I like the first half. Yeah. But Notre Dame's going to go ahead. To your point, yeah, with the 17-point spread, you're always worried about the backdoor cover there for sure. Yeah, right. And and Notre Dame's going to be down two of the really, really major guys on offense. I don't know if Jarrett Patterson, he's a first-team All-American offensive lineman. I don't know if he's going to play. He's still questionable as of uh, Tuesday. We'll see if he plays. It's kind of trending toward not because he's been questionable for the past like three weeks. Uh, their senior receiver, offensive captain Avery Davis, he tore his ACL, he's out. So who's Notre Dame's number one receiver? Lorenzo Styles is athletic, but he's young, has some drop problems. No one's overly big either. They don't have a big receiver they can just throw it up to. Ohio State's secondary is pretty good. I just think it's a athletic talent matchup problem. So no, I don't think this game's going to be very close. 
There's a reason the point spread has gone Ohio State's direction all off season. If you want, if you're playing like college fantasy or something, you want to look at some props. Michael Mayer, the All-American tight end from Notre Dame. Ohio State doesn't have a big and athletic linebacker. They have athletic linebackers and they have big linebackers, but they don't have both. I think he's going to have a pretty good day, especially with Tyler Buckner. He's going to want to rely on somebody. If you lean on anybody, it's going to be Michael Mayer. But overall, I just don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to keep pace with Ohio State, especially on the edges, which is a massive, massive problem in college football. FPI has these teams 10 and a half points apart. So 13, 14 points uh, on a on Ohio State's field. Uh, but it's we have to kind of take that cautiously right before when we don't even have a sample size and teams haven't gotten on the field yet. Um, it seems like the market is, is down on this Notre Dame team. Let's move on now to Thursday night. One of the biggest games of the season to start. Primetime kickoff middle of the week in the Big Ten. Penn State, a three and a half point road favorite at Purdue. This one kicking off 8 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. And Brett, do you think we have a live home dog here? I wouldn't want to be a Penn State fan rolling into this game. I just wouldn't. I've, as an Ohio State fan myself, I've seen what happens when you go into Ross Aid Stadium at night. It's a weird place. Purdue loves to muck games up. They love to turn it over and get you out of your rhythm. Um, but I think that's common knowledge now. And so all the value in the Purdue money line is is out. So it should be at about plus one fifty. If you're a three and a half point underdog in. Uh, college football, it translates to about plus 150 on the money line. And the longest you can get the mat is plus 146 for Purdue. It's right around, you know, market value, but less than that even. Uh, and, you know, every cent matters. So I'm not betting Purdue money line because the value has been bet out of it. It actually mathematically makes a little bit more sense to bet Penn State money line. I know that's kind of well, I don't really want to buy into a minus 170, minus 167 market, but I personally did uh, just because the math kind of worked out in there. The, the minus 170 is actually a value. They should be about minus 180 at uh, three and a half points. So, um, but boy, I don't know. I'm going to be sweating this one out. Uh, fortunately, I'll be at the backyard brawl, so I won't be sitting there scrolling through my phone watching the other game. I'll be watching the game in front of me. Um, but it's just that, I don't know. It's it's not quantifiable in a number. It's just the weirdness of Ross Aid Stadium, West Lafayette, Indiana, and what Purdue is able to do to visiting favorites. So, you know, and, and they're, they're bringing in Penn State, who has been prone to lose this exact kind of game. I don't need to remind anybody about the nine overtime game against Illinois last year. They're just a team that will play down to their opponent, and sometimes they will get beat in those situations. Now, they couldn't run the football last year. That was their biggest problem. Offense, defense, special teams, all of it. They could not run the football. They bring in Nicholas Singleton, who is like Saquon Barkley levels of good, I've heard. He ran for like 6,400 yards in high school. Unbelievable athlete. Um, But he's listed as an or with Kayvon Lee uh, at the running back one role. So, you know, I don't think he's going to be the workhorse back right out of the gate unless, you know, an injury or, or game plan or something requires him to be. Uh, once he gets going in the middle of the year, I will count him into my handicapping a little bit more. 
this game, I didn't really that much because I think he's going to split carries with Kayvon Lee. So Purdue gets the wide receiver back and their top receiver, Milton Wright, was uh, declared academically ineligible for the season. So people are thinking, well, Aiden O'Connell doesn't have a number one. No, he does. His name is Brock Thompson. He had 217 yards and three touchdowns in the Music City Bowl against Tennessee in uh, December. And I like Aiden O'Connell a great deal. He's 11th in EPA. That's around guys like Bryce Young, Heisman winner, Kenny Pickett, Sam Hartman. But we're not talking about Aiden O'Connell in the same way or in the same conversation as those guys. So I think Purdue has the offensive chops to keep with Penn State. But the reason that I like Penn State more is because they have a better defense for sure. Uh, They have Manny Diaz coming in as their defensive coordinator, whereas Purdue lost their defensive coordinator, Brad Lambert, to uh, Wake Forest. And I've been seeing Penn State creep up to minus four in uh, some points, which, you know, it may continue to creep up at this point. Wednesday is sticking around the three and a half. But, you know, we're, we're talking we're splitting hairs there. But I just like Penn State overall. I, you know, I think that they can keep this game in control. I think they can keep the pace in control. They have good cornerbacks to match against Purdue's receivers. Ian O'Connell might put up a lot of yards. His prop, I think at DraftKings, I saw it was 312 yards. Uh, that's quite a few. But, you know, if I'm a Penn State fan, I am sweating this one out. FPI has Penn State 6.4 points better than Purdue on a neutral field. So if you give three for home field, it gets you right to that number around three and a half that we're talking about here. So should be a good one on Thursday night in the state of Indiana. Let's talk about the game you're going to be at, man. The backyard brawl back again after conference realignment. West Virginia at Pitt. Pitt a seven and a half point home favorite. This one uh, on September 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. What do you, what gets you excited about this one, both from uh, just traditional college football and also the betting lines? Uh, well, it's the first time it's been played since 2011, which is fun. Uh, but it was kind of sad to see the backyard brawl go because it was first played in 1895. Like, that's crazy that they just nixed it. So you're seeing two USC transfers at quarterback. You got Keaton Slovis is playing for Pitt and JT Daniels for West Virginia. Now JT Daniels is on stop number three. Uh, uh, 48% of all FBS starting quarterbacks this year are transfers. That is insane, but you're getting two transfer quarterbacks in this one. You're also getting two really good defensive lines. You have Kalijah Kansi, who is a second team All-American. He plays for Pitt. You have Dante Stills across the way uh, for West Virginia. He's first team All-Big 12. And I think we could hear him in the All-American conversation come the end of the year. Uh, West Virginia returns 44% of their production. That is the fewest in the Power 5. Pitt returns more start uh, production, but... The people that left for them, Kenny Pickett, Jordan Addison. We can't overlook the exit of offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. Those pieces to lose are a lot, but Pitt's better in like every phase of the game. (laughs) If we're looking at it, Phil Steele ranks them uh, better. All the position groups, including the defensive line, uh, except for running back. But both of those units are outside the top 60. So, you know, take it or leave it. Uh, I like pit plus the points here. I was able to get it a couple weeks ago at minus six and a half. Now this cross is, uh, seven is tough because it has a 17 cent or 17% push rate when it crosses uh, seven points there. That That's a big jump. But, you know, I, I think Pitt's just the overall better team. It'll be really interesting to see who uh, who's the go to for each of these teams. You know, does West Virginia lean into the running backs? Does Pitt air it out? I'm really not sure what to expect, but I know that Pitt is the overall better team. They're at home and everyone is focused because this game means a lot. 
Yeah, this is a game that I'm probably going to be watching closely to look for an opportunity to live bet West Virginia if Pitt gets out to an early lead, to be honest with you. The FPI has Pitt eight points better than West Virginia on a neutral field. This line is at seven and a half, so the market is telling us that they are not as high on Pitt coming into this season. I, You know, their head coach made some weird comments this offseason, right? Like, they had an amazing year last year. They were awesome. Kenny Pickett, an amazing wide receiver as well, and they had a, a historic season for the program. So, first of all, always good to try and fade a team that has a historic season that is not a traditional power, right? Chances are they're not going to be able to replicate that the following year. And then you have a head coach who, for whatever reason, is not exactly praising what they did offensively last year, despite having one of the best offensive seasons in school history. Like very conservative. They lost their OC, which means the head coach is probably going to have more of a stamp on this offense, wants to be more conservative. So I could see a situation where if they get up in this game, Pat Narduzzi, the head coach, is going to get pretty conservative here, and West Virginia is going to keep this uh, within a one-score game. So if we get a live line here of like 10 on an early score by Pitt, like I'm, I'm going to be all over West Virginia on that, I think. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that a lot. And, and you're right, Pat Narduzzi is going to want to run the ball. Um, but I think some of those comments, you know, as telling as they are, and yes, he did want to run the ball more. I think a lot of them came from the fact that he was mad that Mark Whipple left for Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, some um, sour grapes. Yeah, surely. And Nebraska, you know, as a historic program, is a step up. But in terms of the landscape of 2022 college football, it's not a step up. So I think Pat Narduzzi is probably like, man, what are we doing here? Come on. And decided to take a couple of pod shots at him. But yeah, no, I I think uh, I think they definitely will lean into the run game a little bit more than they did last year. I mean, Keaton Slovis, as talented as he is, he's not. I don't think he's Kenny Pickett. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I like the. The 10 number if, if you can get it to 10 yeah i think it's worth a shot at west virginia back to the saturday slate here for college football week one cincinnati at arkansas one of the great power non-power five teams of all time last year getting into the college football playoff against an sec squad in the razorbacks arkansas is a six and a half point home favorite this one kicking off 3 30 eastern time on saturday Brett, what are you liking about this one? Well, I like that Cincinnati's been getting a lot of action. So this was about seven and a half points. It went down to six and a half points. It actually went down to five and a half points recently. uh, And then it's rebounded to six, six and a half. So everyone is asking, you know, what is Cincinnati going to do in a follow up to their last season? Well, they're not going to match it. They're just not, Uh, you know, and as much as that's not figures, you do have to consider that there's a ton of pressure, especially going into Arkansas and all that. So who starts at since who starts at quarterback for Cincinnati? I think it's going to be Ben Bryant. They haven't announced it yet. He's a transfer from Eastern Michigan who actually left Cincinnati to go to Eastern Michigan and then came back to Cincinnati. So uh, he's all right. His numbers were pretty uninspiring last year, 68% completion, which is pretty good, but you know, 3,100 yards, 14 touchdowns, seven interceptions in the Mac. I'm not overly excited for him. They do have a talented uh, younger guy who's who's backing them up, but I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Ben Bryant. So the defense has a lot to replace. That's obvious. They lost Sauce Gardner. They lost Kobe Bryant. They lost a bunch of guys in the linebacking core uh, and and up front. But I think they're still going to be pretty good. You know, so Arkansas, 
they have their hands full, but they're a better football team. They have a very good team with uh, around KJ Jefferson, who is one of the most electric playmakers in the SEC and in the country. You know, does Cincinnati have anybody to keep him inside the pocket? Because when KJ Jefferson gets going, we saw in the Ole Miss game last year, when he uses his legs, they're going to score a million points. And he's a very tough guy. He's a big guy, tough guy, tough to bring down. Uh, you know, the defensive line is a weak point for Cincinnati on defense this year. They just lost a ton uh, and they have a lot more to replace in the secondary than they do up front. And then Arkansas returns a fifth most starts along the offensive line in the entire country. So this is an experienced group. It's a pretty good group. And they're probably going to have the upper hand advantage when it comes to line of scrimmage. If KJ Jefferson gets his uh, legs going, I don't know. It might be tough for Cincinnati to keep uh, keep pace there, but I'm looking at the under and it's interesting to me. It's 52 points, 51 and a half in some spots. It's interesting to me because Arkansas tended to run at the same pace as their opponents last year. They scored 51 points against Ole Miss. And that was part out of necessity because it was back and forth, but they played a high tempo uh, vertical game against Ole Miss. But then they scored 23 against Auburn, who was a little bit more methodical, a little bit more physical, lined up and ran the ball a little bit more. You know, they scored 40 against Texas, who was attacking the edges and going vertical and, and had an electric running back in Bijan Robinson. But then they scored 16 against LSU, who, again, was a little bit more methodical, brought the ball inside the tackles. So it'll be interesting to see if they match Cincinnati's offensive game plan, which to me, I believe with the new quarterback, isn't going to be trying to air it out, isn't going to be a Desmond Ritter. We're putting the ball in your hands to win the game. I think it's going to be more of a team effort. I think it's going to be a bit more methodical, maybe slower pace. So 52 points is interesting for uh, playing the under there. What's your reaction to the fact that they're basically equal on FPI? They're 0.1 points apart. Like, are you, are you putting anything into that or is this? No, I, I, I don't think I am. It. <laughs> it might be bad to say that FPI is a a metric that I like to pick and choose when I use it. Mm -hmm. Um, I always contextualize the FPI. So when it first opened, they had Auburn 10th. That's something I'm like, "Mm -mm, no, I'm kind of tossing that aside. It is interesting. um, But you know, I, I think Arkansas is a bigger, bigger athletes, especially up front. That's tough. Uh, They brought in, you know, maybe it's because the FBI doesn't know what to do with transfers yet, because that's an interesting point that they're even Cincinnati didn't take a lot of transfers, their quarterbacks transfer, but he was already at Cincinnati. Arkansas brings in a lot of transfers, particularly a wide receiver yeah. that I think is going to be interesting. Um, you know, Jaden Hazelwood is one that comes to mind from Oklahoma. And I believe they bring in Tavion Robinson from Virginia tech as well. So maybe they don't know how to handle that. Um, yeah, that's good, interesting. Good litmus test here, to say the least. That's for sure. Surely, yes. All right, Oregon at Georgia. This game kicking off three thirty Eastern time. Another one of the high-profile marquee matchups for Week One of college football. Brett, Georgia, a seventeen-point home favorite. Thoughts on this one? I don't want anything to do with this game. I want to sit yeah. down and watch it and enjoy it, but I don't want any skin in this game. I have no idea how it's going to go there. I see there's, there's two ways that this game could go. Number one, Oregon's defense is good enough to slow down Georgia's offense. And they're just good enough offensively to be able to keep pace. But if you hold Georgia to a low amount of points, say 24, 
you could get a 24-7 game because Georgia is still returning one of the best defenses in the country, and I don't think Oregon has the offense to score on them. I just don't. Bo Nix, who uh, is now an Oregon Duck, he transferred him from Auburn. He's 0-3 against Georgia in his career while he was at Auburn, and he had some pretty tough games. He's only thrown one touchdown. He's thrown two picks with 128 career attempts against Georgia. Hmm. So I'm not overly excited seeing uh, seeing him in, in an Oregon uniform. I don't think that changes things. But Oregon does have guys, and that's why I think that their defense can withstand Georgia's offense, which I've heard is supposed to be a lot better than last year. I think it's going to be pretty similar, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, they return linebacker Justin Flo. He lost uh, all of last season. I think he had a torn ACL that he he um, was out from game one. Him and Noah Sewell, I think top two or three uh, linebacker combos in the entire nation. You know, Alabama's got the linebacker position locked up. They have the best units, not even close. But these two guys are ridiculous, and they may even have the best linebacker combo in this game. And George, and that's saying a lot because Georgia returns all American Nolan Smith and those guys. So uh, I, I think that they have the talent. They also have the talent up front, which is good. They have a very good offensive line. Unfortunately, they're going up against Georgia's defensive line. So I don't know how good you could possibly be to withstand that last year. No one withstood it. I mean, Georgia's ate them alive. And I know that they don't have Jordan Davis this year, but they have Jalen Carter, who is extremely good. So it'll be interesting to see if their experienced offensive line can hold up against that. But the other way this game could go is Georgia just beats their brains in. It's, you know, I, I don't see a situation. Yeah, I, I don't see a situation which Oregon pushes them around. I don't see a situation in which Oregon has a high flying enough offense to withstand punches. I think Georgia can just line up and beat the crap out of them or Oregon can hold their offense enough to keep them under a respectable amount. But I don't believe that Oregon will be able to score on them in any facet. Finally, let's wrap up with a game that you did bet early on primetime matchup, Utah at Florida, seven o'clock Eastern time kickoff on September the 3rd, Utah now a two and a half point favorite. And this has gotten steamed a little bit. Uh, yes, it has. For some reason, this game opened as a pick em. And that got bet so fast that it was gone in like two days. And this is back in May. So, you know, it, people just picked up on that. I didn't really understand the opening line myself. Uh, it's kind of been hammered into that two and a half. I have seen it touch three, which is a big deal because that's key figure in, in football. Uh, so if it goes above three, I don't know if I like Utah as much anymore, uh, but under three, absolutely yeah, I, fire away. Even if this two three, and a half. I don't think like that's just bad practice, right? If if, if we're, you're getting the worst of the number, it's gone through a key number. I mean, that's that's not something we can advocate here for sure. If this hits three or three and a half then the value has gone in that Utah line and you have to probably wait for the live market at that point if you want to back Utah, right? Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get a live market, though. <laughs> I, I think because Utah is more experienced, they bring in a more dependable quarterback. They bring Cam Rising back. They bring back a thousand yard rusher and Tavion Thomas uh, four of the five top receivers. Cam Rising was surprisingly efficient last year, and maybe it's because he plays late night games that we didn't pick up on it until the Rose Bowl game. But he was 23rd in the nation in EPA. He took over. He didn't even start the season as a starter. It was actually Charlie Brewer, uh, who's on stop like 15 in his college career now, uh, was the start of a Cam Rising took over. Interestingly, though, last season when Utah relied on Rising to throw to air it out all game, when he attempted more than 30 passes, they were 0 and 2. Now, 
both of those were earlier in the season. So I think that they were getting a feel for him. And they're like, well, he's our guy. We want to put the ball on, our, on his hands. But when they figured out, no, 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 we need to run the ball and use his athleticism to complement it. Kind of like how Michigan does, well, did last season, I expect to again this year, with their quarterback situation, be it Cade McNamara or whatever, that they run the ball, they're physical, they beat you up up front, and then as soon as your legs are getting tired from defending the run, they pop a pass on you. And that's what Cam Rising does. He's also very good at off-script plays. Um, I'm not comparing him to Patrick Mahomes by any stretch, but he is that gets-out-of-the-pocket makes a crazy throw with a crazy arm angle. We saw it in the Rose Bowl all the time. So I think they have the advantage at quarterback. Now, Florida has an interesting quarterback. His name's Anthony Richardson. He's big. He's 6'4". He's uh, 235. I think he's a big guy. Getting some Heisman long shot love around the country a little bit, too. Uh, I know you don't agree with that, but... Uh, No, but I I don't think it's a bad pick because he has the physical resemblance to Cam Newton. I mean, yeah. he plays like Cam Newton. He's big like Cam Newton. And, you know, when you put Cam Newton in his old Florida uniform, they look about look about the same when they have their pads on. So he's interesting uh, in, in a Heisman long shot, but he also has a ton of durability issues. He was in and out of the lineup last year. I know he wasn't the full-time starter. Emory Jones was. Um, but he also has decision-making problems. And that could be because he was a true freshman. So maybe give him a full offseason as a starter. He kind of cleans that up. I worry about his durability. So Florida has a strong quarterback, an experienced quarterback, an experienced group. Haven't even talked about their defense yet. Their defense lost a lot, but they're going to be solid again. They have a lot of athletes. Um, You know, we saw Utah run with Ohio State in the Rose Bowl offensively, and they're bringing back a lot of that. So we know they can score a ton of points. Are you telling me that Florida's defense is better than Ohio State's from last year? I don't think it is. I have no idea what to think of theirs because they lost so many guys. They are returning a lot on defense, which is good. They have a good uh, uh, defensive secondary defense line is a question. Utah is a very good offensive line. Linebacker is a question. We'll see about Florida. So the one thing I had to bring up though is, and I'm going to boss the pronunciation of this high altitude deacclimatization syndrome or H A D A S. <laughs> It's basically reverse altitude sickness. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's a real thing. I found like the, the medical backing on it. So it has similar effects to altitude sickness. Uh, it's just you're coming down from altitude. So uh, feeling lethargic, feeling tired. So, you know, people are going to be like, well, how does a team from Utah? How does a team from Salt Lake City perform in hot, swampy, humid, uh, humid Gainesville? Like, you know, are they going to be able to come into Florida and play? And that's one of everyone's big driving factors between well, I like Florida because of the weather. Well, they're also playing at night, so that's going to cool off fairly quickly. The humidity is a question. I don't think it levels a playing field, though, and that's why you're seeing a lot of action go toward Utah and away from Florida. Plenty more college football content for you at thelines.com. You can also find Brett Gibbons' work on the site and at his Twitter, at Road to CFB. You can find me on Twitter, at Stephen Andress, and the number one, Stephen with a PH. Going to have a ton of college football content for you, a ton of NFL content. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Hit that like button. Let us know in the comments who you are betting on week one of the college football season. If you're looking to open a new sports betting account, we have the best promos and bonus codes for you right down in the description along with a free $10,000 prize pool for NFL Pick'em this season. All you got to do is sign up. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, head over to our Discord and join that. 
and you are going to have a chance. Top prize, $3,000 in straight cash. Free to play. Go get that money and join us in our Beat the Lines NFL Pick'em Contest. But for now, for Brett Gibbons, I'm Steven Andres. Best of luck in your college football betting in week one.